Yeah, Mozart, Einstein, Curie, O'Keefe, Jordan. I mean, we talk about people as geniuses. We admire them. They really are kind of minor deities, people not quite like the rest of us. And believe me, nowhere in this sermon will I be trying to imply that people don't have particular talents, that there aren't people with, a, with an amazing bent toward a particular field of endeavor, and how lucky we are that people do have a wide variety of those kinds of talents. Absolutely. And I think that Gilbert, by filling us in on something of the history of how people have thought about genius in the past, offers us another way that can be really liberating not only to us mere mortals, but to the people labeled genius. Liberating of a, of a human talent, of spiritual gifts, of joys in living that too often evade us because we aren't geniuses in the eyes of the world or because we are. So what is the difference between being and having? I made myself a little list some different, uh, different qualities to uh, thinking about being a genius versus having a genius. Well, note, work in progress. We preach what we need to hear, okay? Well, so if you're being, if you are a genius, then, then genius is like a fixed permanent quality, right? You, you either are that or you're not. Like, you know, you grow to six feet or you have curly hair or whatever, you're a genius. You're a mathematical genius. You're a, you know, football genius. You're a inventing genius, whatever. Whereas having, well, that gives an expectation that it might come and go. Like that river flowing, right? The river flows through your soul well, and sometimes it's just swollen with the rain, and sometimes it's pretty parched, and it's a moving thing that comes through us. And there's another point. You know, if you're a genius, then it's all from you. You are solely responsible for the use and care of this genius, and if it's something that you have, on the other hand, well, it comes from somewhere else, like that river. And you're partly responsible, absolutely. Don't go damming it up, you know, and do notice it and ride along with it. And so that being a genius almost has this strange passivity and all-or-nothing kind of attitude. As if it's just something, well, that's what I am, and I go from there or I'm not, and I may as well forget it. Whereas having a genius emphasizes action, and it's a relationship. Elsewhere, Gilbert says, creativity is the relationship between a human being and the mysteries of inspiration. Well, if it's a relationship, there's something for us to do, something for us to tend. And because it's a relationship with something that is not all us, it's outside us, well, we have to look for it, notice it, welcome it in, do our part like a good host ready to welcome the guest. Relationships are two-way things. Another big difference, it seems to me, between these two slightly different usages is that 
Being a genius really implies, as we know, that only a rare few are geniuses. And having a genius implies that genius is everywhere. Because it was in every household. There was a household spirit. Or to use a related term, actually, I think they're not actually etymologically related. It's just a coincidence, but it's cool. Uh, anyone can find that bottle and let the genie inside free, right? And that's better for the world because lots more people out there doing creative things or potentially doing it. It's better for us. Um, hey, we're a church that does our whole lives, so I'm going to be bold enough to use a, a sexual analogy. You know, it seems to me that, that these moments of inspiration, <clears throat> of flow, the aha of creativity, is kind of the orgasm of emotional or spiritual life. And, you know, it would just be a real shame if anybody went a whole lifetime without having one, or preferably many. So, and, and Gilbert talks about this, not with um, that analogy. But um, she says, she says, most of my writing life <clears throat> consists of nothing more than unglamorous, disciplined labor, I sit at my desk, I work like a farmer, that's how it gets done. Most of it is not fairy dust in the least, but sometimes it is fairy dust. She says, sometimes when I'm in the midst of writing, I feel like I am suddenly walking on one of those moving sidewalks that you find in a big airport terminal. I still have a long slog to my gate and my baggage is still heavy, but I can feel myself being gently propelled by some exterior force. Something is carrying me along, something powerful and generous, and that something is decidedly not me. If you've ever had an experience like this outside of a moving sidewalk, you know, as she says, it is the most magnificent sensation imaginable when it arrives. The Greeks called it eudaimonia, which basically means well-demoned. The highest kind of happiness a human can have is being well-demoned, having that spirit moving in you. So another problem with the being a genius concept, and Gilbert talks about this a lot, is that there's a really heavy burden um, upon people who are labeled geniuses, or people who endeavor, uh, endeavor anything that might be creative, um, there's this burden, first of all, of watching them. You know, are they going to be all that great? And then if they do attain a level of what others call genius, then there's this tremendous pressure on them. Will they ever achieve it again? And if the miracle doesn't recur, real self-loathing and unhappiness can result. And one of the things that happens is that people stop creating because the pressure is just too high. Gilbert gives the example of Harper Lee, who was asked why after her great novel that she wrote quite young, um, To Kill a Mockingbird, she did not write, publish anything for years and years. Um, she said, well, it's terrifying. I mean, when you're at the top, there's nowhere to go but down. That's a really sad way for an artist to feel. 
I'm sure she didn't write that novel in order to be at the top. She wrote it because she had something to say, because the demons, the spirits, the genius came upon her, and she worked really hard, and she shared a vision with the world. And it sounds pretty clear that she had experiences like that later in life, and she never listened to the demon and wrote down what it was telling her. Her much later novel was actually an earlier novel that she uh, was finally kind of pressured into publishing. And I think about people who do amazing things who, you know, most of the time, they don't channel that genius. They don't have that genius. Don Larson, the only person to ever pitch a perfect game in, um, in the postseason, in the World Series, he wasn't all that fantastic a, a pitcher through most of his career. He was fine. He had, a, he had a decent career. That day, he was in the zone. He pitched perfectly. If you're not a baseball fan, that means he let nobody on base any way at all. And then he went back to his career and kept pitching. Imagine if he said, I can't do this again because I, I lost a game, because I gave up four hits in the first inning, because I'll never pick, pitch a perfect game again. That would be such a loss to him and to us. We probably all know people who suffered from exactly this. If we accept, on the other hand, that talent and hard work are absolutely factors, the things that we're just born with, like talent, and the hard work that we just have to do, but that there's also a lot that's neither innate in us nor within our control, like how hard we work, then maybe we can accept this gift with thanks, not with resentment, not with a sense of, per of pressure, just, wow, I was given the gift to write this book that so many people appreciated. I, I had this moment, and I, I invented something. Or even just in our own lives, not in the newspaper, not in the award ceremonies, just, oh, I had this great aha moment. That's wonderful. Nobody can take that away from me. I don't have to feel miserable because it doesn't happen all the time. I mean, when you have this idea of being a genius as opposed to having a genius, it's like you are or you aren't, right? And that's not true. And we're assured by people, certified geniuses like Edison, who said genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration, right? We know. It's not that you are or you aren't. So thinking about having a genius instead turns our attention to that perspiration, that preparation, that readiness, and the long gaps in between the aha moments, the moments of flow, the moments where the genius is upon us. Billy Joel, I read, just came out with a song for the first time in 17 years. He was a very prolific songwriter and a really good one. I hope he wasn't spending those 17 years suffering. So it's odd. I recognize, um, like Gilbert, that it's a very old-fashioned idea, you know, to some extent superstitious, this spirit living in the workshop, the little tune 
or snippet of poetry or Ouroboros of a molecule that just floats in the ether. She talks about this elsewhere in the book. Like ideas are just floating around and they're waiting for somebody to notice them. And if you don't do something with them, well, they'll go on to someone else, you know? She really works this way. This helps her in her writing. For me, it's kind of a fiction, but it's a fiction that goes along quite well with what a lot of creative people say about how creativity works. And again, when I say creative people, I mean people who have created ever, the four-year-old drawing. You, when you just came up with that variation on a recipe and, oh, it was just so good. It was so much better than it was in the book. It matches how many people describe their experience of inspiration. Bob Dylan, who wrote, has written, I don't know, over a thousand songs, so many great, great songs, he says, I just write them as they come. Where do they come from? Raymond Kurzweil, who uh, pioneered optical character recognition, among other inventions that have revolutionized um, access for people with disabilities and other computer science. He says, there is magic in any creation. Okay, so if we're going to shift from being to having, if we're gonna think about ourselves as, okay, we might have a genius, we might host a genius for a while, the genius might be living in the house and here's something we have to do to work with it. What do we do to be partners to the genius spirit? Well, we make a place ready. You have your materials on hand, whatever they are for your area of exploration. You carve out the time. That's, you know, if an idea comes by and you're too busy or you can't find a pencil, you know? And then when you feel the genius moving, when the river is flowing, when that house self is saying, hey, here's an idea, you got to act. Write that poem. Go to the piano and get that snippet of tune. And right away, there will be other spirits saying, that's not very interesting. That's not genius level stuff. You're no Mozart. You're no Michael Jordan. Ah! So what you have to do is shut those critics and doubters down, especially the ones inside. They're going to say, you're no genius. Yeah, I'm not a genius. I'm just trying to host this genius, okay? Could you be welcoming to my friend? Could you not be like my rude aunt who comes to the door and criticizes as, as you know, my friend is trying to come in? You know, uh, here, take the remote and some snacks, go to the TV room, and I'm going to shut the door so I can entertain my guest. So they'll stick around. So we can converse in peace. And of course, to be among other people who respect this. Because the whole world is going to try to label whether you're a genius and even deserve to be involved in this endeavor. Maybe you should leave it to the geniuses. Oh, heaven forbid. Or whether you'll ever get up to the level that you were before. You had that great invention when you were only 24. You write, wrote such beautiful stories when you were in your 30s, and you just don't seem to have that anymore. Ugh. There will be plenty of voices to tell us those things. 
So we need people around who will just support us in making the place ready, who will say, yeah, here's a, here's a space, and we honor that you just sit down and, and work in your lap, whether or not you've got a good idea. You just, you're just there making the space for the genius to flow. People who will respect that. We need that in our lives because, you know, this is a very genius-obsessed, fame-obsessed culture we've got. Very black and white. You're, you are or you aren't. And that doesn't help one bit. And what we most need is to give ourselves the respect of recognizing that a genius comes to us now and then, hanging out in the house and comes out to talk. Something that we can't create alone. But that we are needed to create. That's why the genius hangs out in human habitation. And that it will grow and thrive if we nurture it. Because amazing experiences are waiting for us if we enter that relationship again and again. <laughs>